Well then, we're in Luke chapter 4. And uh, last time, the Lord Jesus Christ had uh, returned from his temptations in the desert. He came in the power of the Spirit. And uh, there was a general statement that uh, he went throughout Galilee uh, preaching uh, the good news. And he came doing that in the power of the Spirit. So last time we thought about the uh, power and the priority. His power was in the Holy Spirit. As the Son of God, he could have uh, preached and proclaimed great truth in his own innate power and authority as the eternal Son of God. But he chooses, in the economy of God, to be sent by his Father and to carry out his ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the triune God is fully committed to this uh, great plan to redeem people like you and me, to buy us back from sin's bondage and sin's condemnation and to bring us into his everlasting kingdom. And we haven't yet seen it. Uh, it's beginning. Uh, it's growing. And yet there's a great reality we have not yet seen. Remember that hymn we just sang? We live by faith and not by sight. And that's why we can have doubts at times, because although I can see there's a little blob of blue tack here I forgot to take off, and there it is. Uh, this blue tack will one day cease to be. It's something I see. But the things I believe by faith, I can't see them. So at times my little heart will, will quiver and I'll wonder, and then his spirit reassures me through the word and through fellowship. It's good to meet together. It really is. It's essential to meet together because he warms our hearts, and He promises to be with us. But the things we know by faith are eternal and more certain than this piece of blue tack that will perish. But the things we believe by faith are eternal, and one day we will see them, as uh, Job uh, cried out. Though he was going through great pain and trials and tribulations, one day after this flesh has failed, he says, I will see him with my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. So we looked at the power and the priority of Christ's preaching last time. But now we're going to look at the first recorded sermon of Jesus Christ. It's not the first one he'd given. He'd been preaching in Capernaum before at last he comes to Nazareth. But here's the first sermon actually recorded for us by Luke. And I think I've got three, uh, three or four points to look at. What a place... What a prophecy, what a preacher, what a response. And then a few words of application. But uh, what, what a place. Verse 16. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And verse 22. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said... Is this not Joseph's son? What a place. Nazareth. He comes to Nazareth, the place of his childhood. They, they knew him. This is a place, the synagogue, where we're told, as his custom was, he, he went into the synagogue. I don't know what the building was like. I don't know what the chief rabbi was like there. I don't know what the congregation uh, were like if it's anything like Israel in general. Uh, things were at a low ebb spiritually. Uh, there was dead religion 
It was all outward, but little heart. Or oh, there were some, and I'm sure in the synagogue there uh, in Nazareth, there were some who had true faith. But by and large, it had become a shell and a religious mechanism and uh, a form. But the, the heart was, was, was gone out of it. But Jesus was there. And he was content still uh, to go. They knew him there. They knew him. He'd been brought up. They knew his parents. They knew his uh, family. Uh, they knew his father Joseph, who was a carpenter. And it seems Jesus followed him in that particular trade. And jo Joseph would have made tables and chairs for the folks who were in that congregation there in Nazareth. Oh, he came to Nazareth and they, they knew him well. Now, by this time, Joseph, Joseph has passed on. He's, he's died. But, uh, Mary is still around. Was she in the congregation? Were his brothers and sisters there at the time? Oh, they knew him. They'd known him for the last 30 years. Some would say, well, I, I knew him shortly after they moved uh, into the town of Nazareth, and Jesus would be around about two years old uh, then. Oh, they knew him, but now, on his return to Nazareth, there was something different about him. Something had happened by the river Jordan. As he was baptized by his cousin John the Baptist, heaven opened and the Spirit of God uh, descended on him like a dove. And uh, that voice came from heaven, uh, you are my son, and with you I am well pleased. And then it was the Holy Spirit who drove him into the desert for those 40 days where he was tempted. And then he returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. There's something different about this young man. He now is beginning his public ministry. And he's in the synagogue. And again, just to draw attention to the fact that this was his custom. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on a Sabbath day. It's good to meet together. And the Lord is present when two or three are gathered together in his name. I don't learn in this passage that Jesus had any particular criticisms for what was happening in the synagogue there at Nazareth on this occasion. I say many things wouldn't have been as they ought to have been. But the Lord Jesus Christ attended. On this occasion, well, what an occasion it was. He is given a copy of the Scriptures to read. Now, I'm told, and I'm reading Matthew Henry again uh, just this morning to familiarize and remind myself of, of, of this, that um, in the synagogues at the time of Jesus Christ, the public reading of the Scripture was something that was done um, quite thoroughly. There would be normally seven readings. Uh, a priest would read. Uh, a Levite would read. And uh, five then men of the faith in the synagogue, they would stand up and they would read. And they'd read from different parts of the Scriptures. And the entrance of the Word of God would bring light. And providentially, Jesus Christ, uh, he stands up and he's handed a copy of the Scriptures. And he stands and he's given this scroll. It's likely to have been a scroll. 
They'd be there and kept and in different compartments and the scroll of Isaiah is brought out and it's given to the Lord Jesus Christ. How providential he's given that particular scroll. And now he uses that providence and he opens up the scroll and he finds a particular place. He's given a free hand. So here he is in the synagogue and they all knew him. They've known him since he was a child. Maybe family members are there. Some have read already. Some will read uh, following. But we're focusing now and the attention's drawn to what the Lord of glory does. He takes the scripture and he finds the place in Isaiah the prophet. And so my second point, what a prophecy. What a prophecy. He reads what we have as Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2. And they're standing before the people, holding the scroll. He read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. What a passage. What a passage the Lord Jesus Christ chooses. All the pent-up messianic expectation is caught up in this prophecy from Isaiah. The Lord Jesus Christ starts off by uh, stating very clearly what he's doing is something quite remarkable. He's doing it in the power of the Spirit. He's doing it under the authority of God the Father. His introduction is Trinitarian. We see that certainly with hindsight. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the one triune God. The Spirit of the Lord, the first person of the one triune God, is upon me. The second person of the one triune God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is an economy in the being of God. For the sake of you and I being saved. Are you saved here this morning? You know what that means? To be rescued from sin and its captivity and its darkness and its binds and its, its gravity drawing us down towards the pit of hell and wrath and judgment. And to save us from that, there is an eternal plan. One being, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, co-equal, co-powerful, co-eternal, not one before or after the other. And yet for our salvation, there is an economy in the being of God. It's the Father who takes the lead in sending His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father, God's soul of the world, He sent, He gave His only begotten Son. And the Son doesn't have to have His arm twisted. Son, will you go? I will gladly go. From eternity past, we are told in Proverbs, He's got His eye on people like you and me, the Lord Jesus Christ, delighting in the sons of men. But He can't have us because of sin. All He can give us is judgment because of our sin. But God has devised a way, and it's not religion, it's not morality. It could never help me, it could never help you. 
sing as many hymns as we like, modern or ancient, say as many prayers as we would, do as many good works, strive to keep commandments, not one jot of our sin is relinquished. Only Jesus can do helpless sinners good. If there had been another way, would God have sent His Son? Would the Father have sent the Son? And the Son willingly comes there. No arm twisting here. And He comes to this little planet. And He goes around for those 30 years and then He begins His public ministry. Ah, but then the Holy Spirit. Now, He hasn't been in the background here. He oversaw, as you know, we're coming to Christmas, the, the virgin birth. The Holy Spirit, very much at work here. And then throughout his ministry, he carried it out in the power of God, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes upon him, and now here he is preaching in the synagogue. Oh, he does look different, and he is different. Why? He's now carrying out his ministry in the power of God, the Holy Spirit. And all oh, what Jesus says here in this particular prophecy I have been anointed and appointed from eternity. Then again there at the river Jordan and now here in the synagogue here in Nazareth. I've been appointed to preach the gospel to the poor. Gospel means good news. I've come with good news. Now, this world is very gloomy. Can you... I, I don't know how we turn on the news. But we need to, because we need to understand what's happening. As the Lord's people, in hearing the news, it should shape our prayers. And you know, we only hear news from those parts of the world, you understand this, don't you? That directly affect us, in Britain and the Western world. There are untold miseries happening in parts of the world in which we hear nothing of. Why? Well, they don't have riches we have no interest in them they have no influence on on us and do we really care well, as the lord's people we we do care desperate things are happening and now in in israel and all eyes israel and gaza and the west bank and what will syria do and what would lebanon do what about iran what about other parts of the world what about russia what a, what about china my friends this same jesus is in full control. Amen. Hallelujah for that. This same Jesus, who came from glory to this planet, laying aside the glare of his glory, founding fashion as a man, remains almighty God. Now he's returned via the cross, conquering death and hell and destruction, ascended back to heaven. Now, I don't understand the ins and the outs, but when we get to glory, when we all get to glory, part of the wonder, oh, oh, that's why. And I, oh, I'm so ashamed and I criticized him. I doubted you. Do you know, after certain disasters happen, people say things like, oh, it seems God has forgotten us. Forgotten us. 
In him we live and move and have our very being. No, there we'll fully understand. We'll trace back the mysteries of providence. That great hymn, number 87, Great Providence of Heaven, What Wonders Shine. I'm digressing. Good news. In the midst of gloom, there's good news. Who are you? Why are you here? Is there a God? What is he like? Why don't I know him? How can I know him? Is there a heaven? What's it like? How can I get there? It's Jesus Christ who comes to preach that. Wonderful good news. There is a God. And this God can be known. And why don't we know him? Well, it's our sin. And we're born with this problem. The latest child to be born, my latest grandson, I think he's three weeks old today. But, oh, my wife's nodding her head at last. It is three weeks. Born with a, a problem. And no, no, he's had difficulties at birth and uh, he's improving. And we thank God uh, for that. But he has a heart problem called sin. And it will manifest itself very, very quickly. And unless it's dealt with, hell is his end. So my prayer every day for him and all my grandchildren is, oh Lord, would you save them? And my prayer for you, if you're not yet saved, Lord, would you, would you save them? Here's the good news. You can be saved, my friend. Are you saved yet? If you're not saved, you know, I wonder why. Unless it's your first time here, you've never heard the gospel before. Let me tell you, there is a God. You don't know him because of sin. And because of sin, your conscience tells you there's a judgment to come. But here's the good news. Jesus Christ took the wrath of God in your place. Man has sinned and man must die. And Jesus Christ becomes a man to pay man's penalty. But before he pays our penalty, he lives a perfect life. If I'm to get to heaven and know God, I need a clean life and I haven't got one. So Jesus lives it for me. He represents me. And then on the cross, he also represents me. He takes the wrath that I deserve. I think I prayed it in the prayer. In, in my place condemned, he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a saviour. This is, this is good news. But how do I know it's all true? His enemies said to him in those three years preaching, prove you have the authority to do and to say the things you're saying. Prove that you are the son of God. Oh, says Jesus, the only sign given to you is, is the sign of Jonah. As he was three days in the belly of the fish, so I'll be three days in the depths of the earth. Destroy me and I'll rise again on the third day. His resurrection proves him to be exactly who he claimed to be. And also proves that his death was an acceptable sacrifice to our Heavenly Father. And in his resurrection, death has been defeated. Hell has been sealed over. And my friend, the gates of heaven have only been opened up. They've been taken off their hinges. And the Holy Spirit's great delight is to say to you this morning, come in, come on in, come on in. All is now ready. Come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory, great things he has done. Oh, Jesus comes in the power of the Spirit, proclaiming good news to the poor. 
to heal the brokenhearted. My friend, broken hearts can be healed not through some little holiday you might have or a few thousand pounds in the bank or a new relationship and all these things are temporary, but by coming to know God the Father through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Broken hearts can be healed to proclaim liberty to captives. We're all captives to sin. You try and spend a day without sinning and you see how powerful sin is. But Jesus breaks the bonds of our captivity, recovery of sight to the blind, our blindness, thinking with the children, what is life all about? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. What a, what a prophecy. What a prophecy. Beginning in Genesis chapter 3, the promise to Adam and Eve. Oh, one will come who's the seed of the woman who will crush Satan's head. The snake crusher will come. The patriarchs, the promises passed on to them. The seed would come. He'll be a ruler. He's going to give light. The kings were types of this king who was to come. And David was the pinnacle of that type. But we look to David's greater son. The prophets foretold him this infant of wonder. We're coming to Christmas again fairly soon. It's amazing. Unto us a child is born. Us. Unto us a son is given. And he shall be called Wonderful. It's a great name. Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah chapter 7. He will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is who he is. He's God with us. What will he do? Isaiah chapter 3, 53. He will deal with your biggest problem, my friend. Has he dealt with it for you yet? Are you still here this morning bearing your own sin? Because I want to point you to Jesus Christ who's willing to bear your sin and its consequences you and Isaiah saw it he Jesus was wounded for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities the punishment that brings us peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed we all and there's no exception even including little Jude born three weeks ago we all like sheep have gone astray each has turned to his own way but the Lord God the Father laid on him, God the Son, the iniquity of us all. The wrath, the hell that you and I deserve fell on him. What prophecies. And here, here in Isaiah chapter 61, the great reversal, the doom and the gloom lifted, good news being preached to those who are poor, not only physically, but certainly the spiritually poor, those who see that they need a saviour from their sin, those who are brokenhearted because of their sin and their circumstances, those who are held captive by sin, oh, recovery of sight to the blind, liberty to those who are oppressed. The great reversal will come through the Messiah. So Jesus read that passage. What, what a prophecy. And you know, it had been read many, many times. And you and I perhaps have read it 
many, many times. But it's different on this particular day in Nazareth in the synagogue because, well, what a preacher. Having read the passage, he rolled up the scroll. We're told here he closed the book. It can be interpreted both ways in the original text. Rolled up the scroll is perhaps more accurate what was happening on that particular day. Gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. There was such power and such authority that morning, the like of which the people had never seen. Never seen. Nothing had come close to this. And Jesus would then give a message. He's read his text, which he stands up. It's interesting the custom in, uh, well, certainly in the Jewish church, the Scriptures, the very Word of God, inerrant, infallible, and complete, had such a high place in their minds, they stood. And there are certain church congregations, I think in Scotland, certain congregations stand at the reading of the Scripture. This is the very Word of God. And then, to preach, the rabbi would sit down. That was often the custom of the Lord Jesus Christ. He sat down, his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying. Now, if I sat down preaching here this morning, the architecture of the church doesn't really allow that. But it's the way that the rabbis did it. It's the way that quite often the Lord Jesus Christ did it. He stood up to read the Scriptures, and it's the only occasion we find him reading the Scriptures, actually, recorded here in Luke chapter 4. But he would sit down to preach. I, I won't do that this morning, even though it seems to be very biblical, because those in the front row won't see me because of the, the, the lectern. And it's important to see the preacher, because we're told here, what, he had such authority, that people were so astonished, just at him reading the Scriptures. Well, what are we told? Here it is, get it right. Well, no, let, let's, yes, here it is, here it is. He closed the book, he gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. I tell you, my friends, no sleepers that day. All right? Old Hezekiah in the back corner, who uh, after the first psalm had been sung, you found him nodding off. Not that morning. His eyes and the eyes of everyone were fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. No daydreamers on this particular occasion. Do you know some of you here, I've sat in the pews, I sit in the pews regularly, it's a delight to do that, but I know the difficulty. I mean, I've got to keep my mind on track and keep focused because I'm preaching. And you pretty soon know if I was uh, daydreaming or drifting. Now, I can go up blind alleys now and again and forget the point I was trying to make. Well, that's, that's, but you, you can be thinking about, did you turn the oven on? Did you turn the oven off? Did you put the dog out? Is the dog in? What are you planning for this coming week? But not on this morning. There are no daydreamers in the synagogue in Nazareth. 
they are gobsmacked by his appearance and the words and the authority and the power and their eyes are fixed on him. The, the Greek word atenizo uh, means to be stretched. The eye, it's very graphic. The eyes of the people were stretched. You see, you sometimes see those cartoons and uh, people's eyes are popping out. And we have a saying, don't we? Oh, his eyes were on stalks. That's how it was in the synagogue in Nazareth. They beheld him earnestly. They fastened their eyes on him. He's now seated. And then, oh, wow, a shock goes through the congregation as he begins his sermon. And he starts with this. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What's he saying? I'm the one Isaiah is speaking about. And, uh, well, well, the response, we come to a conclusion, the, the response, it's very warm. We won't get on to the negative. It, it turns nasty after verse 22. <clears throat> but we'll look at that, God willing, next time I'm preaching but I think there's something very sad about the initial response as well. So, verse 22, All bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. But what has he just said? <laughs> what Isaiah wrote, I'm fulfilling in your presence this morning. He's actually saying, I am the Christ. I am the long-awaited Messiah. I am the one who's going to redeem Israel. I'm the one who's going to take away sin. I'm the answer to death and destruction. I'm the, I am the snake crusher. I'm the fulfillment of all the prophecies of your scriptures. Today, they are fulfilled in your presence. And for the people to say, that's very nice. It's sinful. It's terrible. They haven't understood. They haven't understood. Let's imagine maybe a couple of things. Imagine you have a very grim diagnosis from a doctor and you're told that it's a terminal condition. And you say to the doctor, well, how, how long might I have? Well, it's hard to say. But some, it could be months, some it might be a year or, or two. But you better get your affairs, you know, I'm very sorry. There's a a lady at the church that my son attends with his family in Newtown. She's moved to the church fairly recently. Come from a part of England. Really come to Mid Wales to die because she'd been given this rather grim diagnosis. To look at her, you wouldn't have known. She's quite bright. Chatted her when she'd first come with her husband. Children in the area as well. But she had this terminal condition. Three months ago, she went to the doctor, the consultant. He said, my dear, we've had your latest scan. It's gone. Do you think she said, that's nice. Do you know she's rejoicing and the church are rejoicing with her and it fills my heart with gladness. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Thank you. you know, of course she didn't say that's nice. Praise the Lord. I've been praying. I'm a Christian, you know, and she's able to witness to the consultant. Well, my dear, it's a miracle. It's gone. It's gone. 
How about if you're in dire straits financially and you have nothing and the bills are mounting up and you stretch your credit cards and you, the overdraft and you're getting the messages from the bank, overdraft limit, beep, beep, text, overdraft limit reached, another bill's coming, another increase, the car's broken down, can you pay the mortgage? You've lost your job then to go, oh, I've been made redundant. And then, quite out of the blue, a relative you didn't even know has passed and the solicitor gets in touch and there's £25 million being credited in your bank. Oh, that's nice. I find it's not nice. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, happy day. And the people began to say, that's very nice. What a lovely message. And then we'll finish on this, uh, one or two words of application, and then we finish, but and it don't, it, hold on, what's he saying? It, isn't this Joseph's son? I, I've got a sideboard made by his dad in the front room. Didn't he make the bunk beds for your children? Who? What's, what did he just say? Can we play the recording back, please? Well, there are no recordings, so they had really good memories, actually. Yeah, they had to have. Did, did he actually say, he did say that? Isn't this Joseph's son? And they begin to despise him. The response is inadequate to what he has said. It's filled with unbelief. Here we are then, application, just coming to a rapid close. 2,000 years later, 2,000 miles northwest from that place, we're in Heath Evangelical Church. Well, what a place. What a place. For over 100 years, the gospel in full glory has been declared here. Conversions, baptisms, unctions, restorations, growth in grace. Others have rejected the gospel here too, of course. What a prophecy is being declared here week in and week out, without exception. Heath is well known for declaring the gospel. And that's the message. Oh, we preach the whole Bible. So tonight, God willing, I'm in, I'm in Malachi. It doesn't matter where you go in the Bible. It's about Jesus Christ and, and the gospel. We need always to get to him. Uh, I remember a friend of mine in, in London as a student um, I, I was working for the Heath, it was in the uh, 19, late 1980s, and suddenly this chap appeared with a friend in the gallery in Heath. It was packed at the time, and I recognised him across the gallery. He'd come all the way from London with his friend. I said, what are you doing here? He said, oh, I've got my friend, he's not converted. We, we had some time in our hands, and I thought, where can I take him that he'll hear the gospel? I know, I'll go and take him to hear Vernon Hyam in the Heath. Because on a Sunday evening, it was always the gospel service. What a prophecy, what a message. It's always being declared here. Sins can be forgiven. You can have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a preacher. We've had that point. Well, it's the same preacher here this morning. You see, it's still the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. So I need to pray for preachers that they are not just in the word, but also spirit. My word, when it came to you, said the Apostle Paul, came not in word only. Words are important. I've got to use words. Right? It's a waste of time, isn't it? But not in word only, but also empower the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. Then it is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
the prince of preachers. We are ambassadors for Christ, that God is making his appeal through us. Be reconciled to God. Again, are you saved here this morning? If not, why not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Repent of your sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So if you're not saved, my friends, trust in Christ. Do it now, this morning. Don't go home without him. If you are a believer, may the gospel keep you humble and me humble and keep our eyes focused on him and on task and not onto the minutiae. Again, wasn't the perfect synagogue there in Nazareth. I wonder what he thought looking around. He was on task, on point. The gospel is all that really, really matters. What's our response? How will we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this brief time. In your word, time goes so quickly. Another gospel opportunity has come and it's gone. Pray that some here might seize the opportunity to be ushered in to the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To God be the glory, we pray. Amen. Well, we'll sing a, a final hymn. Um, if you're not yet saved and want to know more, please do just speak to me or somebody who you know is a Christian. Don't go home without him. Don't forget these leaflets on the table at the front if you can make use of them. Our final hymn is a brief one, a wonderful one. Jesus, Jesus, all sufficient beyond telling is thy worth.
grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen.